Well, open up your Bibles to uh, Romans, and we're going to start in uh, chapter 3, chapter 3, and I, I want to I tell you, uh, I want to start this morning with talking about humanity's problem, humanity's problem, and uh, all, all of humanity, and, and you may think, you know, when you say, when you hear humanity's problem, you say, oh, I, I know what that is, and you're thinking of people out there, but y- you are included in humanity. You're included in humanity, and so it's really everyone's problem, but it's our problem as well as you think about this, and there are definitely problems in our world right now. Can you think of any? Yeah, I can think of quite a few. Um, I think of... Uh, we might be in World War Three. We just don't know it yet. Um, or four or five or whatever we're on yet. Um, we, uh, you know, people talk about things that are going wrong uh, financially in our world. Uh, people talk about uh, the possibility of not having enough food throughout the world, uh, including the United States. You talk about medicine and pandemics and. Uh, what's going on, and there's just tons of other things, and, and those don't even include what's going on in your household, right? Uh, and you guys, you guys might say, well, there's some tragedies and things going on in our household. Um, and, and yet, at the core of this, at, at the core of this, is there's a problem with humanity. The problem, and, it, and it does uh, exemplify itself, and like there are ripple effects in the world, and these are all shown in what I mentioned to you earlier, but what is the problem? What is the problem with mankind? And uh, make it personal, what is my problem? And if I started, you know, and this morning we're not going to have them up on the stage, so you better grab a Bible. Uh, there's Bibles under the seats of the chairs in front of you, I think, um, and uh, or you brought your Bible. This is why you should have a Bible like this, like with pages and stuff and words on it, uh, so you can have that uh, in case the uh, you know. Just today was our computer. Uh, other days might be the internet. Other days might be the power. And uh, we're just gonna keep you know we're gonna continue to meet at uh, eight thirty, ten thirty uh, until uh, until further notice. You know what I mean? So we might meet. You know, we've done this before. We didn't meet in here. We met out in the parking lot, and if things get rough, we'll be out in the field. And if things get rougher, we're going to be at some of your houses, okay? Uh, uh, whoever's got the best barn. Um, anyways, but Romans chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 10, I want to read to you a few verses. And the book of Romans is a, a book that does really focus on what is humanity's problem, and uh, what is humanity's problem, but also uh, what is God's solution, his only solution uh, to humanity's problem. And in Romans chapter 3, verse, uh, ver- starting at verse 10, it says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even one. Did you get it? How many? 
No, not one, right? Uh, it's inclusive. It's, it includes all of humanity, but it includes you too, okay? Flip over a, a couple of chapters to Romans chapter 5. And this, like I said before, this is just a sampling um, of what is wrong with humanity in the book of Romans. And if you go out wider, there's more detail Uh, But Romans, uh, Paul does a great job inspired by God. God writes to us what he thinks about humanity, what is wrong with humanity. And in verse 12, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was the one man? Adam, okay? Uh, Came into the, the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, Why? Because all sinned. All sinned. If you skip down to verse 18, skip down to verse 18, he says uh, this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. This one sin led to condemnation for all men. And then uh, skip over one chapter to chapter 6, verse 23. I like hearing those papers ruffle as we do this. Um, Verse 23 says this, chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is what? Is death, is death. And so as you look at uh, what is the problem with humanity or what is uh, the depth even of the problem of humanity, what, what do you come up with through these verses? Man is not righteous. Man is not seeking for God. That all are sinners. All are condemned. And all need to pay for their sins by death. All. This is the state of humanity. This is the state of humanity as God sees it, as God sees it. Today, uh, we're going to look at really five words, five words. And these words mean something. They mean something. When uh, you read the Bible, um, it's very important to know the meaning of the words of the Bible and what they say. Why? Because God wrote a book. He wrote, wrote it through men. He inspired it that, that men might have his words and that his words, his thoughts, the truth that he sees would now be the guiding fact of our life. Um, and so as we look at these five words today, I, I want you to remember uh, that you may not agree with the Bible. As you read the Bible, you may not agree. You, you may struggle to say, well, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, your goal is not to think your own thoughts, but to understand what God has said. And then to agree with God. Agree with God, no matter how hard it is. No matter how hard it is. So this morning... Uh, we want to understand what God has said. Um, and really, this section, these couple of verses, 
are God's truth about our salvation. If we've come to know Christ, he wants to tell us about our salvation. And so uh, this is why this is so important. I know that uh, this particular thought or passage and others like it in the scriptures have uh, caused a lot of people to sit around with coffee or even stronger drinks and uh, philosophize about the way the world is. Great. Um, and, and others uh, in seminary uh, have spent a lot of time theologizing. <laughs> philosophizing is one thing, but then theologizing, right? And all I want to tell you about both philosophy and theology is it is subservient, it is connected to the Word of God. And so if you're reading something that claims it's theology or philosophy, and it is not connected to the Scriptures, throw it away. (laughs) Throw it away. Because if it doesn't come from the Scripture, it's not worth looking at. Because the truth of God, what He has written, is the basis, is the basis and the understanding of life, of who God is, comes from His Word. It's not from the thoughts of men. If you'd turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you verses 28 through 30. God's Word says this, And we know... And we know that that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those Whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God, grant us your mind, uh, grant us understanding, uh, grant us humility and receptive hearts. Uh, God, uh, grant us a clarity of your gospel today. That we might know you and that we might gain the assurance of what you're doing and what you have done for us in your son Jesus. We thank you and in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you were here last week, uh, we went through this, this great, we ended up on this great verse, verse 28, that uh, is such a challenge to us. And it's a challenge because it talks about Uh, really all the things of our life, all the things that are going on, they somehow work for good in our lives. For those who've trusted in Christ, to those who have been called by Him, somehow all the things of life work for our good. How does that happen? Uh, It's hard for us to fathom because when we look at bad things in our life, what do we see them as? Just bad, right? Just bad. And, and we think if God was good, he would take out the bad 
and that somehow uh, our life would be perfect now and that that would be good and that would somehow be part of God's plan. And yet the reality is that we see all kinds of things that are bad and hard in our lives. And yet we look to the scriptures and it says that for those who are called, those who love God and called according to his purpose, that somehow all things, all things work together for good. Hard for us to fathom. And we ended up, we ended up last week, I, I didn't mention it much, with uh, that last couple of phrases there, for those who are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. And which brings us to this morning. Uh, we're going to touch on once again, because in the scriptures, uh, Paul brings this up again. God wanted us to know what it is to be called. Uh, that's going to be one of our words that we look at this morning. According to his purpose. As you hear, according to his purpose, it's hard for us to hear. Because most of us have our own purposes. Have our own goals. We have our lists of things to do. Our agenda for our life. If you talk to uh, young people, and this is what we say to them. We badger them, especially at church. What God intended, I get, no, I don't, uh, but when they're getting older, we say, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Uh, what, what career do you want to have? What city do you want to live in? And as you hear this, I, I hope it's like a speed bump in your thinking that all these things that are meant to somehow work together for good, the, the good and the bad and all that, they're supposed to work for good for what? For his purpose. Not for yours. Not for mine. Uh, can, can any of you, especially you older folks, um, can you ever remember a, a, a plan that you had that didn't come to pass? That'd be a great service for test- testimonies, you know, te- no, uh, that we could go around and talk about the great plans that we had, <laughs> the, the things that we were going to do, the things that we even bragged about doing, and we said, I am going to do this. And God said, no, you're not. I have something different for you. And it's not just something different. It's my purpose worked out in your life. I- I've got a plan, a work that I am doing, that I'm going to include you in on. Hard for us to grasp. So this passage, this section we're looking at, uh, you just want to remember, it's God working out His plan, including you in His plan. It's His purpose. And I want to tell you that apart from His purposes and plan, your life's just a mess. It's just a mess. It's a bunch of unrelated events that you are trying to do and trying to uh, see happen. But as we see uh, us being included in God's plan, we see the beauty and the magnificence. Uh, I use that word magnificent because I, 
I wanted a big word because it is magnificent as we look at the work and the plan of God. This morning, uh, I just want to tell you, these five words that we're going to look at are all connected. There's a connected. Some of uh, theologians have called this the golden chain. But, but just make sure you don't... We're going to look at them individually, but know that they're connected. And even in order, I, I would say. That these things are coming together, uh, uh, words that are connected. And as we looked at in verse 28, uh, these words in 29 through 30, these are for His purpose... His glory. And the end result for us should be a peaceful assurance. A peaceful assurance. Knowing uh, that this will come to conclusion and fruition by the work of God. Um, these, a few things about these five words. First of all, these five words are aorist verbs. That's pretty fun, huh? Some of you are so excited right now because you're English geeks and you're like, oh, grammar, I love grammar. Uh, You're so weird. You're so weird if you love grammar. Uh, But these words mean something. In their their heiress, meaning that they are done in the past and they are done, they are finished. And not just that they are finished even in a sense of like done and over with, but as we look at these things, uh, there's evidence that they happened. There's evidence that they happened. There's con- uh, continuing ripple effects, if you will, uh, to seeing those things happen. They're, so there are things that are done in the past. Done in the past. I want to say this too, that as you look at these words, he's talking about, uh, some would say he's talking about the church as a whole, which is kind of true, but not really. He's speaking of every individual believer that's included in the church. Every individual believer. And so as you think about this, if you've trusted in Christ, this is true of you. This is true of your life. I want to say this too, that there are other words that talk about salvation. This isn't all the words that are used when it comes to salvation. I I thought of a few as I was even thinking of the book of Romans. Um, Chosen, elect, redeemed, forgiven, set free, reconciled, and a bunch of others. Okay? And so as you look at this this morning, realize that this isn't all that God is doing, but it is this connected chain that gives us a picture Uh, really what our salvation is like, where it came from. I want to warn you that by the end of looking at these two verses, your head might hurt. Your head might hurt, especially those of you who are math kind of people and engineers, that you feel like you have to understand everything. Good luck for you this morning, okay? As we look at this, your head might hurt because this is uh, his magnificent plan wrapped up in the mind and the work and the, the power of God. And we have, the, we're the small-brained ones, his crea- creations, okay? And so um, I, I, I want to say this too, that this passage isn't to make our head hurt, it's to make our heart rejoice, heart rejoice. Um, a, as we get to the end of this, we will see the greatness of God 
and the riches that we have because of his plan worked out in his son Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at these words and they're really start to finish. Verse 29. Verse 29. Um, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. We'll start with that first word, foreknew. Um, This is speaking of God doing a work in us or uh, foreknowing. And it's bringing about this word beforehand. And the next word is before as well, but beforehand, beforehand. And, And what you see is God taking initiative in our relationship beforehand knowing us. The, the word there uh, is the word to know. It's not just like, uh, like knowing something, like a fact about something. It's not just the idea that uh, you, you know the, the streets of Bear Valley. Or you know uh, you've been to a, a city or a town or, or you've met somebody one time. The, the root of this word is to know something intimately. It's the idea of having relationship. And even uh, not just having relationship, but a love relationship with. And so as we look at this first word, we say, we connect it uh, this word foreknow or foreknew is beforehand, beforehand, there's a love relationship, a placement of love from God to mankind. You can say it this way and brings up another word. The word chose, and this is throughout the New Testament as well. Beforehand, God chose to love us. God chose to love us. Now, some of you are thinking, well, you picture in your mind this idea of loving or choosing, and it's the idea beforehand. You think maybe you go quickly to elementary school when you're choosing teams, and you say, well, you know, if God's the captain, he looked upon the ones on the backstop, and he said, uh, that one can kick really far when you're playing kickball. And so I choose them because I want them for what they have. That's not in this word. Uh, in fact, this idea is that God chose us apart from anything about us. Nothing had been done. I'll just tie up this word by this and we'll talk a little bit more about it as we look at the next word as well one of the questions one of the questions that comes up when did this happen when did this foreknowledge begin well i just say it this way before before okay beforehand okay uh we'll get into some of the detail through another passage here in a moment but know this that is before. This is what we're, you're going to struggle with this morning. Is uh, you're going to picture in your mind, I remember the day when I chose Jesus. When I chose him. I've been thinking about it for a while and I was reading a bunch of stuff and I was seeking the Lord and all of a sudden I chose him. I chose him. I want to tell you that that's not what this verse says. 
This verse says nothing about us. God before chose us or knew us in love. Okay? Which brings us to the second word, predestined. He said in, in verse uh, 29, he says, for, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You see how the chain works from one to another. These two words are very close, but, uh, but different and bring a, a, a different element to it. That word predestined is the idea of preordained or predetermined. It's a destiny or a, a uh, a place that it is going. And, and it gives this picture, and uh, the most elementary uh, parts of the Greek is this idea of marked out, marked out. Uh, this is the plan going forward, and it's marked out before you. The same question can be asked, well, when did this happen? When, when did this go on? When did this preordaining or predestining, when did it go on? What would be the answer? Before, right? Before. That's all we get in this passage. Uh, and, and if you can keep in your mind that there's a destiny to this choosing, there's a destiny to this marking out. Well, what is this destiny? He tells us in, in verse 29. He says... Uh, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The destiny uh, for the one who had been predestined, the one who had been uh, chosen or foreknew, the, the destiny of that, what, what was the purpose of this knowing before, this loving before, and this uh, preordaining or predetermining, what, what was the purpose of it or the destiny is that the person chosen would be conformed to the image of his son. That, that the one that God has done this for, that they would be conformed or made to now be in the image of his son. When you think of Jesus and you think of all that he has done, you really understand that, um, first of all, Jesus came, he was rejected, he's perfect, suffered, right? Suffered. As you think about, you know, even uh, baptism, what is that? What is baptism? We had a baptism here a couple of weeks ago. What is it to be uh, connected to? or conform to the image of His Son, it's that we are identifying with His death, burial, and resurrection, right? That Jesus went to the cross. Uh, But that's not the good part, right? (laughs) The good part is His resurrection. His resurrection. His death, burial, and resurrection. And the destiny or the purpose behind this preordaining, predetermining, marking out spot that God has done is that that we would be like the image of His Son. And I want to tell you that as you look at these words, they can only mean, they can only mean relationship of God 
with his people. That's all that they can mean. Because the, the idea of God making, God making or preordaining a, a person's life, where's the outcome? What is he doing this for? That we would be like him. That we would be like him. That we would be like his son. And so, uh, really, as you even think, taking a step back for just a moment, uh, what's the purpose of your salvation? That you would be like Christ. That you would be like Christ. And so, it, it, it should be very simple as you think about the steps that you take and the, the things that you participate in. And, and you just ask yourself, you know, time to time, daily, whatever it is, is this helping me look like Christ? Because why was I saved? Why, was, why did God do this work? Is that I would be like his son. He tells us one other thing. That in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, he, he's spoken of this before. I can't remember what chapter. But he talked about this idea of being firstborn or even first fruits and the idea is that Christ being the first one that there would be many that would come after him and as we look at this this morning uh, if you have trusted in Christ you're part of the many that have come after him okay and so this is why and this is the destiny of this predetermining uh, this predestined preordained marked out spot for those who have trusted in Christ. When does this happen? Before. Before. Hey, if you want to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, I want to point out something for you that uh, is helpful to, to really get a little bit more detail in this. And uh, The Apostle Paul wrote this. You ladies are way ahead of us, right? Uh, because if you were at Bible study this week, this was the uh, starting passage that went over. But, but in, if you look over at Ephesians chapter 1, another great passage about this idea of God's work in salvation in us. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 4, verse 4, God's word says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And it goes on to talk about the word predestined, uh, uses the word choosing in there. Uh, It'll go on to talk about the sealing and the completion of uh, your salvation. But what I want to point out to you is if you're wondering when this happened, if you look at Romans, it just says before. Well, when before? Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, before the foundation of the earth. That's tough, to, that's tough to understand, isn't it? Because when you look at the book of Genesis and you see the, the creation or you know, what's going on and the establishing of the world, know this, that God's work in foreknowing, choosing, preordaining, predetermining, however you want to use that word, when did it happen? Before the foundation of the world. Hard for us to get. Uh, and so as you look at these first two words here, uh, you, though you know them to be before, um, you can see that God is doing this 
before the foundation of the world. Which brings us to the third word. And I'd say the the first three are kind of connected together in a a similar sense. uh, Apart from us seeing what's going on in a person. Um, The the third word uh, is called. And he says this in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And and the reason these are tied together, uh, know this. That... Foreknew, he also predestined. And if he foreknew and predestined, he also called. He also called. We looked at this word briefly last week. And if you look back up at verse 28, you realize that he'd already used this word called. And there's a bunch of different ways this word called is used in the scripture. Sometimes it's used of the calling of an apostle or the calling out for someone to do something. It's also used in a term of like calling out uh, for people to repent and hearing the gospel. But in this passage, uh, theologians have used the word the effectual call. The effectual call. And, And the idea here being of this is that the effect of this call is to bring about salvation. That the Holy Spirit does a work in a person's life. That as they hear the gospel, it calls them to repent and receive. Um, I want to tell you that when the Holy Spirit calls upon someone's life, they receive the gospel. That they repent. Uh, If you've trusted in Christ... uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know the, the time and the place. And it's not that you didn't sin after that, right? It's not that you, it wasn't that you didn't know anything before that. But it's the idea that God had brought you to salvation. The effectual call. Now, now I want to I say something right here. I want to say something. How much have you done in this passage thus far? Where are you mentioned? What work have you done? Yeah, as we look at this, uh, as we look even about the purpose of our life and the work that God is doing and how he's taking all the things in our life, the good and the bad, and somehow using those, you look at those and you go, how do these all come together? We come in together in the purpose of God, and I would say it this way, in the work of God, in the work of God, as God is working, doing his work in you. I want to say this, though, and I, I want to give this to you as uh, a picture of what is to come. So we're in Romans chapter 8. If you want to skip over to Romans chapter 10, I want to show you something. Why don't we look at verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. God's word says this. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I would say this, that verses 9 and 10 are the point of time of salvation. Point of time of salvation. And I want to say this, 
that the work that God did beforehand uh, is not complete apart from man responding. Man responding. God is doing the work. Um, I want to back you up even too. Where did we start this morning? Where did we start? What is the what is the um, the heart of man? Sinful, not seeking after God, dead in our sins, needing to pay for it through death. Right. And and I I want you to get the picture of what can a sinful man do? Nothing, right? They won't seek after God. And so we see in this passage this morning, now God calling, the Holy Spirit marking, and the, the person that he has marked and believed, he calls them to repentance and they respond in saving faith. I know this is hard to put together, and uh, uh, to be honest, I'm not that concerned with putting it all together this morning. I'm concerned with you knowing what the Scripture says and the words that are placed before you. C.S. Lewis, I I rarely quote anybody. I quote people all the time. I just don't tell you who they are most of the time. Uh, But C.S. Lewis said this, and I think it would be helpful for you to think about this. When he was speaking of his own salvation and what God had done in his life in that moment in time of salvation, this is what he said. In a sense, I was not moved by anything. I chose to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rein. I say I chose, yet it did not really seem possible to do the opposite. What, what was he saying? He was saying that was the moment in time of salvation for him. That the foreknowledge of God, the predestining of what God had done in him, now the calling of what had happened to him, his response felt like he was in charge of doing it, and yet he felt like he could do no other. When did this happen, this calling? I would say, just before, just before the calling happened, the calling happens, man responds. Which brings us to number four, the fourth word. And I, I would say this, um, well, well, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, chapter eight, uh, now we're in verse 30 once again. It says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Justified. Now, uh, if you've been with us for a while, that's a favorite Romans word of Paul's. Justified. And we've been going over this. And I'll go over it again because I I love going over it because it's so important. One of the things that I mentioned to you earlier is what's the problem of humanity is they're not righteous, right? We're not righteous. And we need to be righteous. Uh, To be gods, we need to be righteous. But what's the problem? We're not righteous. And so how do you make righteous that which is not righteous? And, And by the way, can you make yourself righteous? 
Can, can you say, I, you know, I, I made a mess of my life. I'm going to unmess it. I'm going to uh, remove all the sins that I've committed. I'm going to pay for everything that I've done wrong. I'm going to fix everything. No. And so uh, we come to this word righteous. We come to this word righteous that we need to be made right. And this word that is now that we use, that Paul has used over and over, he's used it a bunch thus far because it's where our salvation needs to go is that we need to be justified. And what does justification mean? It means being made right with God. Made right with God. And I would include two things. Made right with God when we were not right with God. Right? It's not just a, a deeming of, uh, of Him looking at us and saying, I approve of who you are. No. He doesn't approve of who we are. Because we're unrighteous. And so it's Him making us righteous when we were not righteous. It's, it's us being right with God when we were not right with God. And I would add one more thing. By God. By God. We're made right with God by God. And how is that? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. The special, the special sacrifice. The only sacrifice. Jesus. Um, how, when did this happen? When did justification happen? Well, I would say at or as it happened, our salvation. We were made right with God. Calling justification. Real close point in time, okay? Uh, we are justified. God made us right with himself. Which brings us to our fifth word. Glorified. And this is what he says. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You need to know this. This is another piece that he keeps bringing up in the book of Romans. Is that there is glory at the end. Uh, if you look up at chapter 8, verse 18, I, I want, we looked at this maybe two, three weeks ago now. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing uh, with the glory that is to be revealed to us, the future glory. And what is that glory? Well, there's a lot of components to it. A glorified body, a, a glorified house, if you will a glorified destination, a glorified occupation that we will be glorifying God forever and that we will be praising and, the, and this, this glorified Savior that we will be with. And as you look at this, it's all that is to come. Now, I just want to point out one thing, and we're going to go back to a little grammar here, uh, okay? Uh, back to the exciting part. This is an aorist verb, is an aorist verb. What is an aorist verb? It means that it is done, that it is done, that it is finished, it is complete, and the, the what has been done has ripple effects in the days to come. And you say, wait a minute, it's not done. It's not done. And I want to tell you, 
There's a couple of things that this could mean. Both are great. Both are great. It's that uh, it's already complete in you, just not realized. Okay? It's already complete in you. Or the second one, probably the second one is more logical, is that it's as good as done because it's secure, because it's based upon what God does, not about what you have done. How many of you mess up? And when I say mess up, how many of you continue to sin? Fail. Complete failures. And you just go, oh, I just wish I wasn't like this. And we even talk about the flesh, which is talked about in the chapter 7 and 8 of the book of Romans. The fleshly things. And you say, oh. And, and some of you are struggling with this idea. I'm saved. And then I'm not saved, and then I'm saved, and then I'm not saved, and I'm saved because I went to church, and then I sinned and did this, so I'm not saved. And you just, you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. This is what I want to tell you. Aorist. Aorist. Aorist verb. It's done. It's, it's, it's as good as done. It's complete. And as you look at this, when does this happen? At the end. At the end. Done, but not yet. And as I say this, um, that, that should be great assurance to us this morning. There should be this sigh of relief, this peace that comes to your life because of the work of God, the magnificent work and plan of God for you. I want to tell you this whole idea uh, in God's work and how magnificent it is and some of the struggles that we have with it will come back to us in chapter 9. I want to just give you a little taste, though. Um, As you look on, uh, as you go to verse 31 and the verses after, you will see that this is uh, talking about this victorious life that we now have. And why do we have a victorious life now? Uh, why can we rejoice? Because of those five words, those five words spoken of in verses 29 and 30. I, w- I want to tell you the work of God, there's rejoicing that we should have because of what God has done. Let me give you three ways to tie this up. Um, and, and I just want to reiterate these things as we uh, close up our time in the Word. The first question that I have for you, for, for you is this, and I already mentioned this. What did you do in these verses? What was the great work that you have done in these verses? Some of you are struggling. Look down at the Scripture. It's a trick question. Uh, it doesn't tell us about the work that we have done. It's talking about the work that God has done. And so as, as we think about this, as we look at the work of salvation, know that it is about the work of God. And all we are doing is responding to the work that He has done. Secondly, uh, I want you to know this. That this is God's work apart from my worth. It is God's work apart from my worth. And, and I, say, I say this, that it, it's not that, um, 
though it does say this in humanity, I, I, I don't know if you caught this earlier, um, in, in the verses that I read to start out with in Romans chapter 3, it says, uh, together they become all worthless, right? But there's this beautiful thing about our worth, that our worth is connected to God's work. Our worth is connected to God's work. But it's not the idea that we are somehow better, that we are somehow worth it. In fact, if we were worth it, it would not be grace. It would not be grace. If somehow we could work our way into worth and a right relationship to him, it would not be grace. And I want to tell you, uh, the plan of salvation is grace from beginning to end. From beginning to end. And so as we look at this this morning, uh, this is God's work apart from my worth. And it's marked by his gracious choice of me. And then lastly, where should this lead you? Not to the hurt head, not to the hurt head, but the idea of thanksgiving for the victory that God has granted me. Thanksgiving. In a moment here, we are going to share in a time of communion. And if you think about the elements here and what they represent, what do they represent? Plan of God. The plan of God. That God did it all for us by His grace. And so as we look at this, and especially as we look at the last word, glorified, that this should bring about in us, these words as they culminate in the end, glorified, that we should, uh, we should respond with what? Thanksgiving. For what? The victory that he won. And I would say this way, not a temporary victory, but an eternal victory that he won. That we would be glorified. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for these amazing truths. And uh, though they're hard to understand, God, I ask that you would help us to embrace these words, this word from you, that we might know your greatness, and that we might worship you, and we might um, rejoice in your plan, not just the steps, but the destination. God, if there's anyone here uh, today that doesn't know you, pray that as part of your plan, your Holy Spirit now would call out to them that effectual call that they might know that they are yours, and they might respond in faith. Faith in your son Jesus and what he did on the cross. And it's in his name we pray.